following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. By the way, good morning. I haven't had a chance to say that yet. If you go online at all, and especially certain websites that you may want to visit, um, you know you have no doubt run into a little thing. It's called the CAPTCHA test. I have one up here. Um, you seen those things before? Yeah. The cool thing about them, what I love about them, is the first thing you're confronted with is this little box down in the corner that says, I am not a robot. Now, you're supposed to check that if you're not a robot. I've spent some time sitting there looking at just to make sure. Then when you check it, you get one of these tests, and it, like this one says, uh, select all squares with crosswalks, or if there are none, clicks. And anyway, you're supposed to get the right answers, and then when you do, another box will show up with a green check mark that says, you are not a robot. And I am so overjoyed when I get that confirmation that I am not a robot. Now, we're going to do a little CAPTCHA test on our own this morning, a little bit different, um, but I want you to think and listen carefully. I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to run through several questions, and I want you to listen carefully, and if at the end you need to think back on these questions and say, did I answer yes to any one little item on this test? Okay? Here are the questions. Have you ever had a headache, a toothache, an ingrown toenail, a bad back, faulty knees, or anything else that has caused you the slightest physical discomfort? Don't, don't respond yet. Has anyone you've ever loved died due to old age, disease, or accident? Have you ever felt the sting of someone's harsh words or been insulted or had someone criticize something that you have said or done? Have you ever experienced anger toward another person over some offense, be it large or small? Have you ever experienced moments of doubt or discouragement about your faith as you've traveled your journey with Jesus? Or have you even wondered, maybe, at times, if Jesus is real? And we could go on and on with these questions, but I'm going to stop there. If you answered yes to even the slightest part of one question, I want you to raise your hand. Give yourselves a hand. You are not robots. You are not robots. That's the good news this morning. You are human beings, you're flesh and blood, walking, talking contradictions, capable of extraordinary compassion and serving of your fellow man, yet at the same time able to scream and holler at someone when they cut you off in traffic, or your least like politician shows up on the TV. So <laughs> you are not robots. You're not robots. Now, we are much, much, much more than any robot. We have something no robot can ever possess, and I don't believe can ever be created, but no matter how ingenious man may get, we have a soul. We have a spirit. We can know God. 
We are created in his image. But we have a problem, don't we? We live with a fallen nature, a sin nature. We were talking about that in our discovery group. Um, so, Judy, if you get some questions about me backing up the trailer in the yard yesterday, just tell them I was a model of grace. And uh, Long story. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they separated us from God in a way that could only be done by what Jesus, it could only be reconciled by what Jesus did. And yet still we live with our sin nature. We have that nature that was passed down from Adam to generation to generation to generation to generation to generation and on to us. We live in this sin nature. It flares up on us every now and then, doesn't it? We were reading about Job, who was blameless and upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil. He was blameless in the eyes of fellow man, but not in the eyes of God. He still had that sinful nature. And we struggle with it. We, as a result of Adam's sin, we feel pain. We live in a fallen world. Creation was stained by the fall. So we feel pain. We struggle. We suffer. We, we go through the, the down times of life. Those things that were on that questionnaire. And we're going to see a little bit about why today. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to one of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you're turning there, Paul is setting this all up. He's been setting this up since, since the very beginning of the book. As it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been talking about the gospel. Paul's absolute favorite subject. I doubt that you ever sat with Paul and had a conversation that sooner or later didn't get around to the gospel. Think about when Paul was in, imprisoned and he was chained to Roman guards. And many have said, uh, Paul wasn't chained to them. They were chained to him. And he got, they got to listen to the gospel over and over again. So he's been setting this all up. And, and we come to verse 7. And it says simply this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The very first thing we're going to see here is that our struggles reveal our humanity. Our sufferings, our struggles reveal our humanity. He says, we have this treasure. What's the treasure he's talking about? Well, it's the gospel message, isn't it? That's what he's been talking about coming into this. That we are reminded of week in and week out here. And we need to hear the gospel week in and week out. We need to hear it day in and day out. The gospel needs to be the message on the tips of our tongues every moment. That's what we are here for. We were created to be God's ambassadors, to be his messengers, to take the gospel to a fallen and dark world. It's not good news, people. 
It's great news. It's the greatest news mankind has ever and could ever hear. So we have this treasure, Paul says, but where is it? He says it's in jars of clay. I love this passage. This is me all over. I am a jar of clay. Now, a jar of clay in those days would have been, the readers, Paul's listeners would have understood completely what he's talking about here. A jar of clay was a very common thing in every household. They were jars. They were containers simply made out of clay or earth. Some, some of your translations say earthen vessels. And, and they, did, they functioned. They functioned as something that held something. The only problem with them, if you dropped them, they shattered into a thousand pieces and they were absolutely worthless. They were very fragile and very common. They very easily attained and they were very easily discarded. And what, what caught my mind in this was, was the idea of the commonality of the jars of clay. This wasn't the fine china. How many of you have somewhere in your house, either in a cabinet or probably some of you in a storage container someplace, but you have some fine china, what you would call fine china, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have Ronald McDonald plates. We do. Still have them. But yeah, we, some, of them, some of the china that we have it's probably something that goes back to when you were first married and it has some sentimental value to you. Others may have some that goes back generations. And it may not only have value to you, it may be very valuable. But it's fine china. You don't take it out. Now, we're going to go home today and, and we'll gather with Jonathan and Aaron and we'll have lunch. Believe me, we, with three young kids, we will not take out the fine china. Right? It's not smart. You take out the plastic divider plates. By the way, I have one of those. I get one of those. Fine china. It's not what Paul, it's not what God chose put the treasure of the gospel in. He chose jars of clay. He chose failed, flawed, weak. He chose carpenters. He chose fishermen. He chose harlots. He chose tax collectors. He chose us. He chose us. And there's a reason that God chose us. We continue on because our struggles, our sufferings reveal the glory and the power of God. That's why it's in jars of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay, listen, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. Why would God go in such a strange direction? Wouldn't you think the message of the gospel should be in the fine china? He could have said, hmm, you know what? This message is so special, so important. 
It's far too important to entrust to a bunch of average Joes, a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of ordinary people. But that's not the direction God went. Someone has said, who, who is good enough to be entrusted with the gospel? The smartest person isn't smart enough. The purest person isn't pure enough. The most spiritual person isn't spiritual enough. And the most talented person isn't talented enough. God just chose the ordinary. There's an old illustration that used to get passed around a lot. It's a, it's a mythical story that, that Jesus finishing up his ministry on, on planet Earth and he's ready to ascend to his father and he says to the, to the guys, to the disciples and to his fathers, okay, you're it now. You take this message about me to the lost world. And Jesus ascends. And in heaven he's questioned and, and the angels say, hey, How'd it go? He says, for great, I left the message in the hands of the disciples and the followers, human beings, and those fishermen, those tax collectors, those harlots. And, and the angels go, what's your plan B? And Jesus says, there is no plan B. We are plan A. We are plan A. And that's the way God intended it. So why would he do this? I think you can sum it up with one word, humility. Paul talked about that in Philippians, didn't he? He talked about his pedigree. Oh, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, man. I, in regard to the law, I was flawless. I, I was, he was the up-and-comer. He was the hottest thing. And he was proud. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. God chose the lowly things of the world. So that no one may boast before him. Nothing will destroy us. Nothing will destroy the, the, the church faster than pride. Nothing has brought down more individuals, more organizations, more corporations, more churches, even nations, than pride. I was telling some friends the other night that um, as a pastor, I look out on these faces, and, and we are down a little in attendance today because it's a holiday weekend. Last week we were packed, and I expect we will be again. And we are at the most dangerous place a church can possibly be. We are being blessed and blessed over. And I believe God has blessed us and I believe God will continue to bless us unless we forget to whom we owe every blessing. Amen? Amen. Let me interject something here that just a little bit different angle. We will continue to be blessed only if we hold 
tenaciously, or as we have talked about the last few weeks, unwaveringly to the word of God and to one another in unity. In unity. We live in a nation that's deeply divided. We know that. And that shouldn't surprise us. And Satan, our adversary, the king of darkness himself, is going to make every attempt to divide us, the church. Right here in this local body, as God blesses us, Satan is going to want to undo those blessings. I thought a lot about that. Peter reminds us that Satan is a, a, a prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. And he will come, uh, I promise you, and he will come in a subtle manner. He won't march through the front door with an entourage uh, announcing who he is and what he's going to do. He's going to slip in the back door and he's going to whisper in our ears. Did God really say, remember the earliest lies, did God really say this? Do you really need to be in church on Sunday morning? Is this really important to you? Do you really need to put up with that mouthy pastor that talks way too long? Do you really need to put up with that carpet color? Believe me, more churches have split over things like that than ever theologically. Churches have split because somebody's baby got the wrong bottle in the nursery 25 years ago and it never was resolved. Let's keep our eyes open. Keep our ears and eyes on the real prize. We are the children of God. The church will be at its best as long as we understand and accept the simple fact that we are a ragtag collection of sinful men, women, and children who only have discovered through grace and by grace alone the miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's all there is. The rest is window dressing. So the third point I want to draw out of this passage we find in verse 8, and that is that our struggles, our sufferings reveal the depth of our faith, the depth of our faith. Look at these four contrasts in verses 8 and 9. But we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, what's the common theme in all four of these contrasts. It's one word, isn't it? Those of you who know me and have heard me preach over the years know I I, I love this one word, three letters, B-U-T. Whenever you see it, it's drawing a contrast. And here it's drawing a contrast between what's going to happen to us and how we will respond to it. It's a word that indicates to me within the context of this passage and and in thinking about who Paul is, 
that this is not an absolute given fact. Just because you are a believer and you are hard-pressed on every side, you will not automatically be spared from the crushing. We'd like to think that because we were told, hey, come to Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful in your life and and no harm is ever going to touch you. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. That's not true. That's not true. Just because you're a believer, when you're hard-pressed, you're not automatically given a pass. And the same goes for the other three contrasts as well. We are perplexed but not despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. We have to build the kind of faith that will sustain us when we are hard-pressed and when we are perplexed and when we're persecuted and when we're struck down. It It doesn't just automatically happen. And now I'm going to really offend most of you. This doesn't happen with a once a week, twice a month dose of Jesus. It just doesn't. Believe me, I've tried it. Judy and I visit some pretty good churches in our travels. And we're always amazed how few people ever have a Bible anymore or ever even look at their phone for an electronic device or whatever it may be. If we're going to build the kind of faith that we're going to stand on when when these times come, we have to invest more than just once a month, once a week. In Luke 17, 5, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Is that the question that's on our hearts and lips? Are we asking that of God? God, increase my faith. I I call that, though, a Habakkuk question. If you're familiar with the first chapter of Habakkuk, the the people are crying out for God. They're saying, God, come on and, and take care of this mess that's around us. God says, okay, but you're not gonna like it. If we say, God, increase my faith, are we prepared for the way God is going to increase our faith? You're going to go through some struggles and some suffering. As a follower of Christ, it is inevitable. Writing to Timothy, Paul declared, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And whether it's persecution or just the sufferings that a fallen world brings or, or struggles in your family, whatever it may be, you're going to go through hard times in this life. And it's necessary. Helen Keller once said, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Tim Keller said, Job, as we were talking about in our discovery group, 
Never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. So how badly do we want Jesus? How badly do we want the kind of faith that when hard-pressed from every side, can survive without being crushed. It takes surrender. It takes being willing to open ourselves up and say, oh God, anything. It's going to be more than singing the right songs on Sunday morning. I've just been hammered by a quote from A.W. Tozer in the last couple of weeks when he said something he wrote 60, 70 years ago, and he said, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. Think about it. I sing the mighty power. Do we believe that? I surrender. Let me think about that. 65%. Not it, is it? I surrender all. Paul wraps up that passage. If you check down to uh, verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed by day by day. But that, again, is not automatic. It doesn't happen just because you want it to. It happens because you put the time and the effort and open your heart and your spirit to the, to the God of the universe to bring whatever into your life it's going to take to forge a faith that will stand against all obstacles. I wish we had time to take on the rest, this last couple of verses. But when you read, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, that's the prize. That's why we go through sufferings and struggles in our life. We looked earlier this morning at, 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 at Romans and for our suffering, we rejoice in our sufferings, Paul says, because our sufferings produce perseverance, our perseverance character, and our character, what? Hope. I need to close so we can move on to our communion service. I want to close with this illustration, though, and, and if I've, I've shared it, I apologize, but one of my favorite TV shows back in the early part of this millennium was uh, uh, West Wing. might surprise you because it's a very left-leaning, very uh, uh, biased show. Um, didn't share my politics, but I love the show for the kind of giving us a glimpse of what I think the White House is probably like. And in one episode in particular titled Bad Moon Rising, President Bartlett, now understand, you got to understand, he was a Democrat, and he's facing an investigation of his administration. And he brings in a special White House counsel 
who offers a particularly difficult and, and yet refreshing course of action. He tells the president to tell the truth. I could stop right there. He tells the president to tell the truth and then form a strategy for informing the public. And then he adds this. This is the, his, his special counsel. Then order the attorney, attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor. Not just any special prosecutor. The most blood-spitting, Bartlett-hating Republican in the bar. He's going to have an unlimited budget and a staff like an army. The new slogan around here is going to be, bring it on. He's going to have access to every piece of paper you ever touched. If you invoke executive privilege one time, I'm gone. An assistant DA in Duckworth wants to take your deposition. You're on the next plane. A freshman congressman wants your testimony. You'll sit in his kitchen. They want to drag you to the Hague and charge you with war crimes. What do we say? And the president whispers back, bring it on. Bring it on. I like that. It's not only just a great slogan, but a great attitude of those of us who want to be true disciples of Christ. Nobody ever suggested that following Jesus was going to be easy. Bad things happen and are going to happen. We are not robots. You proved that. We carry the gospel in jars of clay. We find strength and faith to persevere when we make the decision to look the enemy in the eye and say, bring it on. Bring it on. Say that with me one time. Bring it on. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, for the privilege that you give us as your children to carry the treasure of the gospel in these failed and flawed and fragile jars of clay. Father, thank you. May these words, may we remember only from these last half hour, only the words that you want us to remember and, and nothing else. I thank you, Father. And praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.